of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, their king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. And they continued for some time in custody. And so one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him and in custody, in his master's house, why are, you, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. And so the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches, And as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days, and in three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly, when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit." When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cakes. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating out of it, the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. And in three days... Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. So on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker. And as Joseph had interpreted, to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Reliance. It's great to see you all this morning. Um, one of the things I, I love about the Bible is that it doesn't sugarcoat things. Um, it, it doesn't it doesn't gloss over the difficulties of life. It actually shows us um, some of the really hard things that we deal with in life. Um, Genesis 40, what, what we just heard, um, you have this godly man, Joseph, who 
you know, he seems to be doing everything right, and yet he's sitting in jail, actually sitting in what sounds like a pit, forgotten. Um, it says the chief cupbearer, um, what Jacob left off with there, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And I think every one of us at some point in time is going to face some kind of situation in life where we are, are mistreated or slandered or forgotten. And in the midst of that, it's really, really important, it's really encouraging to remember that God sees the whole story. So we're going to actually look at Genesis chapter 40 and 41 this morning. Um, we decide not to make the scripture reading all of that. Um, we'll, we'll get into chapter 41 here and, and see this story. And what we're going to see, it's all one story, is that in these chapters, God is working all things together for good in the life of Joseph. And that has some significant meaning for us as well. Um, consider for a moment what a unique person Joseph is in the story of Genesis. So you guys remember how Genesis starts. God creates the heavens and the earth, and he appoints man to represent him on earth. Man is supposed to be God's representative here in this place. And yet we know Adam did not do very well with that, um, did not represent God the way he was supposed to, and chose to do things his own way. And that's really the story of much of Genesis, is men and women who are not representing God well on earth until you get to Joseph. And Joseph is really the exact opposite. Um, He turns away from temptation. We saw that last week. Um, He chooses to honor God in all things. He acts as God's representative in his time and place. Um, He's a man of integrity throughout all of it. Um, with, With, you know, at home he was... An honest, hardworking son, maybe a little too honest. Um, with Potiphar, he was the faithful servant who could be trusted in every situation, even with Potiphar's wife. Um, in prison, he was the prisoner that was so trusted that um, they, they didn't even uh, concern themselves with what he was doing while he was there. Um, and now you have these two servants of the king, and Joseph is the one who represents God by interpreting these, these dreams for them, these visions. And so from the beginning, man is supposed to be God's representative on earth, and um, really it's Joseph who is fulfilling that. And yet even with that, even though Joseph is doing what he's supposed to, he is representing God in his time and place. Um, You get to Genesis 40 and the end of the chapter, and we find Joseph sitting in a pit forgotten. The godly man suffering for no fault of his own. And if we were to end the story there, it would be a really depressing morning. (laughs) Um, But fortunately, that's not the end of this story. Um, God's not done with Joseph. And so we're going to pick up in Genesis 41 here. We're going to continue this story. So Genesis 41, verse 1. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump. And they fed in the reed grass. These were good-looking cows. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. 
And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven stalks, um, I'm sorry, seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. First thing I want to point out here um, is this was after two whole years. So after two whole years, God sent Pharaoh a dream. Um, God's timing is not our timing. (laughs) I can just imagine Joseph uh, wishing that he did not spend two whole years in that place. Um, And yet God is much more patient than we are, and God's timing is often not our timing. And he did have a good plan for Joseph. So let's continue on. Let's see what happens. So then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody of the house of the captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, He interpreted our dreams to us, giving us an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. So suddenly, Joseph's experience from chapter 40 with the cupbearer and the baker starts to make sense. Okay, so through this, God was creating an opportunity for Joseph to stand before Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. Um, there's no reason that Joseph would have ever ended up in that situation, except that God was using this event um, in that way. Um, so verse 14, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit, pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. It's fascinating. Um, Joseph, through the years, has had a fair amount of experience with this whole dream interpretation thing. And yet his very first response is to point out he doesn't have the power to interpret dreams. This is not from him. This is God who is doing this thing. God is the one who, who will give Pharaoh the favorable answer. And so then in the verses that follow, 17 through 24, um, Pharaoh again recounts the dream that he's had, and he again recounts the fact that the magicians and the wise men of Egypt can't help him out, lays out the situation. And then verse 25, Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is, as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh 
what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow. For it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. The thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. I think there's a few things I want to point out from this passage, and, and, and these are maybe obvious, but worth stating. Um, the first thing is that God knows the future. Um, another thing is that God has control of what will happen in the future. Um, God causes good things to happen, like years of abundance, And God causes bad things to happen, like years of famine. God is in control. And I think all too often we kind of shy away from that because we don't want to make God look bad. Because there's some things we just don't understand. Why would God make famine? That doesn't seem like a good thing. And yet, this very clearly tells us God is in control of these situations. Um, He's in control of all the events that are going on here. And the other amazing thing about this is that God has told Pharaoh what he's about to do. Um, Why would God do that? Why is God choosing to demonstrate his power over the future to this Egyptian king? What's what's the point? Why would he do that? Well, what we're going to see is that through this, a couple things happen. Through this, Joseph is exalted to a really high position. And through this, God is honored among all the nations on earth. Um, Let's read on. So verse 33. So Joseph continues talking. He says, Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities, and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants, and Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? And Pharaoh answers his own question. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all of this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah just have to say it with boldness. I have no idea how to pronounce it. Zaphanath Panea. 
And he gave him in marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. And during the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. And what a day that was for Joseph. You know, he wakes up in the morning, like he had for two years, in a pit in jail. And then later that morning, he shaves and dresses himself and and gets ready for the day because he appears before Pharaoh. And before it's all over, he's wearing Pharaoh's signet ring and he's clothed in the best garments and he's wearing a gold chain around his neck. You talk about a rags to riches story. You know, um, the former slave and prisoner is now in charge of everything, the entire land of Egypt. Um, Romans 8.28, it's a passage many of us know. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. It was just one day earlier that things looked really bad for Joseph, and yet God brought all those pieces together. Joseph had been sold into slavery in Egypt. He had been falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He had been thrown in jail and forgotten. And yet all of those things were necessary to lead him to this moment. And out of humility, Joseph is exalted. And that leads to what is my favorite part of this story. So verse 50. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For, he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Um, I love the name Manasseh. Manasseh means he made me forget. And Joseph's explanation is powerful. Um, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. Um, it's a little bit ironic. He clearly hasn't, I mean, let's, he's clearly not being completely literal here, right? He obviously remembers something of it or he wouldn't have come up with that name, right? It's not like, I just, I cannot remember the last 20 years. Um, no, he, he, what he's saying is he is able to let go. Um, Joseph does not hang on to his past hurts. He's not bitter about it. It's not like there's a dark gray cloud following him wherever he goes. Uh, Joseph was able to find peace. And in that, he serves as a really powerful example for all of us. And I'll, I'll share with you how this impacted me. Um, I grew up in a family that was... Um, we had generations of dysfunction, <laughs> and um, my my dad um, grew up in a family. His his dad and his dad and and on back for several generations had all been alcoholics, and um, it was a very angry, violent family. And when my dad was twenty years old, his dad committed suicide, 
Um, when my dad, um, it was just a few years later, his older brother um, was shot by a police officer. He had attacked the police officer with a knife, and the police officer defended himself, and so that would be my uncle um, died that day. Um, my, my dad's family was awful, and uh, to his credit, my dad did his best to protect us from all of that. Um, we moved away, moved out of state. Um, my dad almost never drank alcohol. Uh, we attended church. Um, he did his best to protect us from all of that, but in spite of all of that, my dad was still a very angry, um, an- angry man with violent temper, and as a result, some of my earliest memories, and I'm talking like five years old, some of my earliest memories were of hating my dad, and as I got older, as the years went on, that became uh, more intensified. And so it was out of that situation of, of my anger and my bitterness and resentment and all of that stuff that, that the Lord got a hold of me and really through the years showed me I needed to forgive my dad. And so I grew up, moved away, and um, man, I had to really wrestle and wrestle some more <laughs> with some really strong uh, emotions of anger and bitterness. And I had to forgive my dad. And then I had to do it again. <laughs> and then I had to do it again. And um, I remember sometime in my mid-20s, um, this verse was powerful to me. Um, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house. And I remember it served as a really powerful example to me because we see the story of Joseph, right? And I thought, you know, if, if Joseph can forgive then surely I ought to be able to forgive. Um, If he is able to let go of these things, then I ought to be able to as well. And it was a powerful, it was was an absolutely essential shift in my thinking that I didn't need to live with sort of this victim mentality. You guys know what I mean by that? Like the, the victim mentality that it's like, oh, woe is me, I went through this hard thing and therefore my life is forever ruined or something like that. Um, I have peace with my past, and I'm able to move on with my life. And yes, there are times where I look back on it all and wish things had been different, of course. Um, But I know God had a good plan in all of it. And I can say, like Joseph, God has made me forget all of my hardship in all my father's house. Um. Let's let's continue on. Let's see how this story goes. Verse 53. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the land, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says do. So when the, when the famine had spread all, over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. Uh, first thing I want to point out here, it says the seven years of famine began to come as Joseph had said. Um, this was the, the point at which 
Joseph is vindicated. I can imagine for those first seven years, there might have been some skeptics out there (laughs) who are unsure about this new tax plan, right? The the tax plan where Pharaoh takes on 20%, one-fifth of all the produce. And I could could imagine there might have been a little bit of resentment against this guy, Joseph. Um, What is this new thing that's going on here? Um, But now it's suddenly clear. Now it's suddenly clear that what Joseph has said was, was actually accurate um, and that God was, in fact, behind all of this. Um, it says, all the earth came to Egypt, to, to Joseph, to buy grain. And you can imagine some of the conversations. Hey, guys, have you heard? The, the Egyptians, they still have food. They, they still have food. We could go get some from them. Really? Where'd they get their food from? The famine's everywhere, right? Well, yeah, but it's the craziest thing. So seven years ago, this guy Joseph predicted these years of famine. He said, God is going to make this happen. What? No way. How how would somebody know this was going to happen in advance? Well, I don't know, but his God said it was going to happen. I need to know more about this God, right? Can you imagine the conversations that are going on? everywhere, because all the earth, all the nations surrounding them are coming to, to get food um, in a moment like this. Um, when we read a story like this, I think it's really important um, to consider why the author wrote this and what it is God intends for us to do with this. So I was, I was joking with Kim that um, maybe this week I should teach Tips and text, techniques for dream interpretation, right? That's, maybe that's the point of this passage. Tips and techniques for dream interpretation. No, I, I don't think that's it. I think it would have been written a little differently if that was the case. Um, you, you look at his interpretation and you're like, okay, maybe. I mean, I might not have gotten that, but for sure. Um, now, it's interesting. In the whole Bible, there's actually only two times where this happens. Um, Joseph here and then Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar. And in both cases, it is a godly man standing before a Gentile king. Um, In both cases, um, the point is that God is exalted among all the peoples. Um, In both cases, Joseph and Daniel are quick to point out, it's not me. I don't have the ability to interpret dreams. This is from God. God is the one. So so it's not a how-to manual for uh, dream interpretation. Um, it's also not a how-to manual for, like, how to advance your career. <laughs> uh, we saw it last week um, when Greg preached. Um, it's very clear. God is the one who's advancing Joseph in all of this. Joseph couldn't have orchestrated all of this. I'm going to end up in jail. And then, you know, that's, that's not how this, this worked out. Um, the, the point of this, really, this is a story about God. Um, The point of these chapters is to show us how God is working all things together for Joseph. Um, Through this, the descendants of Abraham are being preserved so that they can grow and become a great nation as God promised Abraham back in Genesis 12. Um, Through this, through Joseph, from the line of Abraham, through one man, all the families of earth will be blessed. Um, A little bit of foreshadowing there um, for Jesus. So we see how God is at work in Joseph's life. But I want to ask the question, what does that have to do with us? Really cool story. A little bit of like, okay, but now what, right? 
And I think there are, there are three important reminders that I want to point out from God's Word that we need to pay attention to here. And the first thing is that we need to remember that God is in control of our lives directing our steps. Um, as Christians, we don't live at the mercy of blind fate. Um, as Christians, we know that our lives have meaning and purpose and direction because God gives them meaning and purpose and direction. And here's why I think that's super relevant for us. Um, when, when we have to make big life decisions, I think some of us get analysis paralysis. Um, we, get, we get so bogged down with wondering if we're going to have the right choice. Um, if you're one of those people who you go to the restaurant and you look at the big menu and there's too many choices and it's overwhelming and it's stressful for you, then you can relate, okay? So, <laughs> right? so this is for you. Um, you know, there are times in life where we have to make decisions, and we fear that we're going to make the wrong decision, and that forever we're going to be out of God's plan for our lives and, and, and detoured down some dead-end path, and, and now what? Now what do I do? Um, if I could remind you, Joseph had a dream when he was younger, and we actually had two dreams, and in those dreams, God told him that you will be exalted and your family will bow down to you. It did not look like that was working out. <laughs> so for years, Joseph is a slave, and then a prisoner, and forgotten. And you could imagine him feeling like, I have somehow missed out on God's perfect plan for my life. Um, but consider how God was working through all of that to produce a good outcome. God had not forgotten about Joseph, and even though it looked like he was on a dead-end detour, God still was orchestrating the events in Joseph's life. God was still in charge. Um, Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 10. Remember the former things long past. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things which have not been done saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. The idea here in Joseph's life is that God is in control of the future. God is in control of your future. And that's presented as, throughout the scriptures, that's presented as a source of great hope and comfort. And so we, we ought not be in this place of, of being paralyzed by fear of, of having to make decisions and what if I don't make the right decision, uh, God is still in control of our lives. Right? We can have great hope and comfort in that. Um, a second thing for us is we ought to be willing to forget the pains of the past that God has rescued us from. Um, it, is, it is really easy to go through life with a chip on your shoulder um, because of something that you've experienced in the past. And maybe you did suffer some terrible thing. Maybe you suffered abuse as a child. Maybe your parents were never there for you. Maybe you were the victim of a crime. Maybe your friends betrayed you. And all of those things are legitimately terrible. right? We can all agree those things are awful. But it doesn't mean that we can't put those things behind us. Uh, just think about what Joseph went through, right? Joseph's brothers hated him so much 
that they wanted to kill him, but they settled for selling him into slavery instead, right? Like, like the, the good alternative was selling him into slavery. What they really wanted to do was just kill him. Um, and then he ends up as a slave. He's trying to make the best of the situation, but then he gets falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, and he's thrown into prison, forgotten for a couple years. Um, I can point to some rough things in my life. I think Joseph still wins. <laughs> um, if he can get to the place where he can say, God has caused me to forget all of my hardship, um, then I think there's hope for us. Um, God can help you. God can help you forget these things. Joseph gives the credit to God. God has made me forget all my hardship. So forgive the person, whoever it was. Just as God God in Christ forgave you, you can forgive them. And then place the whole situation in God's hands and trust him with it. He can handle the future. He can certainly handle this situation. And then move on. God has a really good plan for your life. Let go of that junk. I mean, any one of us could list all the ways that we've been mistreated. But so what? Right? Like, what good would that do? Let's, let's give those things to the Lord. Let's forgive. Let's move on. Um, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 um, says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus. In that, in that verse, in verse 1, it, it doesn't just say let's lay aside every sin. It also says every weight or every encumbrance, the things that drag us down. Lay them aside. Um, if, if, if God can cause Joseph to forget, then we can forget too, right? So underline in your Bible, God has made me forget my hardship. And then go live your life for God's glory, Right? That's the, that's the point of what Joseph is, is really serving as an example for us in, is that we don't have to cling to the past. We can, we can move on. Um, the third thing that I would point out is to give God the credit for his blessings. Now, one of the striking things in the life of Joseph is that through these chapters, every time Joseph opens his mouth, he's either talking about God or giving credit to God for good things. So let's, let, let me just briefly... Um, look at a few examples. So Genesis 39.9. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Why was adultery wrong for Joseph? Well, because he recognized God is in control. God has authority in my life, so I can't do that thing. Genesis 40 verse 8. Do not interpretations of dreams belong to God? Uh, Genesis 41 verse 16. It's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Verse 25, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 32, this thing's fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Verse 51, God has made me forget all my hardship, all my father's house. Verse 52, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Constantly, Joseph is just, every time he opens his mouth, It's to point attention back to God. And uh, many of us in this room have done pretty well in life. I mean, a lot of you are are well-educated. You're successful in your career. You've got a pretty nice house and car. 
maybe even a nice family, it's easy for us to become proud and to start to think, you know, I did that. I'm, I'm pretty good. Look at me. I've, I've arrived. Um, if you have good circumstances, it's because God blessed you, right? Amen? If, if you're smart and you can work hard, it's because God gave you a sharp mind and a healthy body, right? In all of these situations, we need to be quick to give credit to God, just like Joseph did. And so Joseph is just this amazing example of a godly man who represented God well in his time and his place. So Joseph remembered that God is in control of his life, directing his steps. Joseph was willing to forget the pains of the past that God had delivered him from. And Joseph gave God credit in all of those things. So um, I just want to encourage you guys to follow the example of this godly man. And ultimately, Joseph's life, um, Greg mentioned it last week, Joseph's life is amazing foreshadowing for Jesus Christ who is to come, right? Joseph is, is like a picture of what it looks like to represent God well. And that's the same example that we are called to follow. So let's pray. So Father, um, we just come before you recognizing God.